0: Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Seaweed Brain. Today is going to be our third dive into the sun and the star. And we have a very special guest who we've been hinting at on social media for a while now. Um, Stick around. (laughs)
1: Okay. Hi, listeners. We're doing this thing where we're consciously introducing ourselves again. I'm Erica, co-host of Seaweed Brain.
0: I'm Carter, other co-host of Seaweed Brain.
1: (laughs) Today, Erica and Carter are being joined by a very special guest, dare we say, extremely famous, wildly important Percy Jackson fandom community member, artist extraordinaire, Alessia Trunfio. 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 Trunfio.
2: Alessia Trunfio. Alessia Trunfio. Hello, oh, everybody, I-, I know my surname is very complicated and here in Italy some people have problems to pronounce my surname. So don't worry, it's totally fine, it's totally normal.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, Alessia, we are so <laughs> delighted to have you here because first of all, it's so rare to like get to like talk to I feel like artists You know, like we talk to podcasters and we talk to authors, but I think you're the first like visual artist we've ever had on the show. That's nice. (laughs) Yeah, it's so cool. And like I said, you're super famous. So tell us a little bit about your career as an artist. Okay. um, I'm a
2: children's book illustrator and I've been doing this job like seven years now and uh, I started my career actually Posting some fan arts on internet, I've done some fan arts about uh, a very famous Italian book here in Italy. Is uh, probably you know like the Baron in the Tree by Italo mm. Calvino. I don't know if, if it's pretty famous here in Italy. Okay, and it's one of my favorite books. I started posting online some illustration about uh, that book, and my agents of the my actual um, illustrator agency found me on the hands. And she said, "Do you want to be represented by an uh, illustrator agency?" And I didn't know what was an illustrator agency because here in Italy we don't have agencies like this. So it was very cool. And then I started working in illustrators' field. Uh, I've done a lot of book covers, illustrated pictures, book, and some comic, but mostly. Book covers. That, that's the exactly what I did for the Rainbow
1: Crate cover for yeah. the star. Oh my gosh, that's so cool! It's like so cool that you got into your professional side of this job by doing fan work. Yeah. Yeah, on the internet, I, I was very lucky. I, I don't know
2: how it happened, but when I was contacted by my agency, I was like, oh my god, oh my god, okay, okay. Uh, I am a professional. <laughs> I'm a really very professional illustrator. Yes, <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I, I don't feel like a very professional artist. Sometimes I, I don't even know what what I'm doing. I'm just
1: going with the flow. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I feel like everyone can relate to that in some way in their own career, especially if you're in like a creative yeah, field. Yeah, yeah. So if anyone isn't aware, as you should be aware, first of all, but if you're not aware, <laughs> The Sun and the Star has the cover that you have wherever you are in your country. For us, it's like the yellow, orange Nico Will pointing at like what looks like maybe the doors of death or a palace or something. But there was an announcement recently that there is going to be a special edition of the book jacket for the Rainbow Crate, which is, I believe, the world's first and biggest uh, queer book subscription box in honor of the month of May. So it's going to have the Sun and the Star in it. And the new cover is going to be designed by Alessia, who is here with us right now. How thrilling is that? <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay!
2: It was very funny when the team of Rainbow Crate contacted me via mail. They said, oh, yes, uh, we have this cover. Uh, we really love uh, your style and I think you're a good fit for this cover. But at the beginning of the mail, I didn't read the title of the book. So I, I just scroll down the mail. Okay, okay, okay. This, the usual job offers I-, I receive. Then I read the title and I say, <gasps> And I replied to them, oh, yes, I did the light work of, no, on this. But actually, in my home, I was externally and internally screaming. And, and they say, oh, if you want, yeah, we can give you also an advanced copy so you can read it before starting the cover. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> so I, I, I read the book in like something like two days, I think, in yeah. February. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I read the book on February and uh, I have to, uh, of course, uh, I signed an NDA. Uh, I <laughs> couldn't talk about anything on anyone about the book. And, and I was just screaming on every page. I, I, I wanted only to talk about the book with someone, but I couldn't. <laughs> I went crazy. And then I saw the cover. The strange thing about this cover was that. Usually when we artists that do the book covers, uh, we receive a brief of what we have to do and draw mm. on the on the cover. But in this case, uh, they give me totally freedom and uh, I could do everything I want. Wow. So I was like this, uh, looking at the blank page, and it was okay, this is my chance. I need I need to do that, I need I need to work on Will and Nick. oh my god, oh my god. And I couldn't do anything for like two hours (laughs) because I have a lot of ideas, but but I couldn't decide what was the best idea. So I draw them all and send from me like Mm -hmm. six, five sketches different of six different covers. But I have my favorite. That was the last one I did actually. And I said, okay, I'm sending a lot of sketch, but Honestly, this is my favorite. Mm-hmm. And Danielle from uh, Rainbow Crate, after a few days, said, okay, uh, the authors, Rick Mark. Mark, um, I've seen the sketches and they agree with you, this is the, <gasps> the favorite. And I was, what? Yeah, I didn't know that, that Rick Mark. <laughs> it, it, it was uh, really crazy. Yes. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, because you didn't know that they would be
1: looking at the draft yeah but if uh, if
2: I ever knew that Mark Rick had uh, seen the the sketch uh, I've done them better probably because they were very rough <laughs> I, because sometimes I, I was really very rough sketch so I I, I didn't send that uh, a cute sketch uh, some, okay
1: but oh uh, they
2: choose my favorite and they am very satisfied by that cover probably in It never happened. I'm satisfied, but an illustration. But uh, I really like doing that cover. It was really, really fun. And I'm done in really fast in a day, probably because I was, oh yeah, yeah, I have to draw, I have to
1: finish. (laughs) Oh my God, I can't wait. I I got one of the like special single copies. The demand was so high, everyone. If you weren't paying attention to this whole process, the demand was (laughs) so high for the May book box that obviously has other books in it. That's like what a book box is. And they instantly like sold out of them. And there was like a 500 person wait list like immediately the day it was announced. I didn't know it. People wrote to me, "Please, can I
2: have a copy?" And I don't know anything. I'm yeah, sorry, i, I just not the a... <laughs> yeah. It's funny because here in Italy, I don't know why people think I I know everything about the sun and the star, and they ask me when. <laughs>
0: You're so
1: in Italy. I, I I don't know actually. <laughs> I just don't know. You're literally the third author of the sun and the star. Oh my God, I didn't think about it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and then because the demand was so high, Brainbill Crate was like, okay guys, you dirty, dirty little fans, we will release (laughs) single copies of the special cover because everyone is so excited. So I signed up for that one and successfully pre-ordered it. Um, I have no idea when it's going to come, but I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still waiting
2: for my copy to come. Uh, I don't know when. <laughs> I ask, please, can I have a book or a, or a box? A- anything, please.
1: <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I guess we'll send you one. Yeah. Demand's kind of high, though. <laughs> no, I, I
0: feel guilty, actually, to ask for the books. <laughs> Are you in the loop on any um, poster or other ways of distributing this art? Do you know if they're going to do that? Or have they talked to you about any anything else around around this project?
2: No, actually, no. Uh, Only one thing. When Rainbow Crate made the announcement, they said, please uh, uh, post something because uh, uh, fandom is quite tricky right now and... Um, many of the fandom is scared that the artist chosen is not a real fan of the series. So if you can post something, maybe we can calm down uh, the, the situation. Wow. wow. I was okay. I didn't need anything because uh, I am in the fandom, but I'm a step outside the fandom. So I don't know all the dynamics between artists, fan arts, uh, and uh, everything. Yeah.
1: It's really, it's so cool to talk to you because I feel like you do occupy this space where you're both like a fan and you are a professional artist because I've been, following you for forever i feel like <laughs> thank you. seeing your art of nico and will and song of achilles you know yeah I, I know in fact it's strange
2: I, I don't know if now my fan art of will and nico are actually official artworks yeah. or just
1: fan art. so that, that's, <laughs> it's complicated it's canon not to mention the the art of nico sitting in the chair
2: that, that was really fun working on that sketch because I, I really done in something like 20 minutes during my lunch break and I was like, okay, I need to draw it. <laughs> and when I posted, I didn't expect that that sketch that took me 20 minutes go
1: so viral. Wow. (laughs) I know. I was like, that was so fast. Oh my God. (laughs) The turnaround on that was like immediate. And that is canon. So I think you are the official artist. (laughs) Oh my God. I feel responsible now. (laughs) Yeah. That's so real. Like, yeah. There's like a lot of, there's a lot of weight. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so I didn't ask you yet. Like, cause you said you got that email, you saw the title that it was the son of the star they were asking you to draw for and you like freaked out. When did you start becoming a Percy Jackson fan?
2: Well, it's pretty funny because I came in the Percy Jackson fandom pretty late. I re- read the first book in 2018-19 after doing the sixth fan art challenge. I don't know if you do, if you know this challenge is a, a challenge when the artist has to make six fan art of six different characters that are given by f- followers in the comment section on Instagram or in Twitter, and a lot of people a lot of people ask me please draw Nico D'Angelo please draw and I didn't know who he was so wow. I started searching information about this Nico D'Angelo because why everyone loves this Nico D'Angelo I didn't know and when I read he wears a skull ring he can summon that and he is son of 80s I say okay I love this character I need to read Percy Jackson <laughs> and this wow. is wow um, I enter in the fandom actually I read all the books the first series the second series and the trials of Apollo in something like a month wow and I just jump in this tunnel and
1: never leave it <laughs> that's so special that like Nico was the way and the reason you started reading it and now here you are amazing
2: I still can believe it this happened actually sometimes I think about it I say oh my god I've The cover, the the cover of the book of my dreams. I'm waiting this book for years. Yeah. (laughs) And so you liked the book, I take it. Of course. (laughs) I've just read it three times, actually. So... (laughs) I love God. it, love it, every part of it, from the, the smaller things to the biggest one. For example, yeah. one thing I love it so much, it's a small thing, are the graphic part of the book, the cream pages, the sun yeah. that is a, a light yeah. or is dark, the boat, mm-hmm. it, it, there are so many details I
1: really, really love the in the book. No, we've talked a little bit about that. Everything from like the visual aspect of it, like having the pages where you can see just looking at it from the side that some of them are like darkened out. Having the boat illustration, the map inside of the book, like it really is this like special little product. I feel like a lot of people I've seen have like several copies already because they have like, their signed book tour copy. And then they have the copy they pre-ordered before the book tour was announced. <laughs> They're going to get their Rainbow Crate copy. I know. It's I so know. special.
2: I attend every year Sac Comic-Con here in Rome. And I already mm-hmm. know many people will come with the book with <gasps> my caller. <Colin>. Please can't <laughs>
1: sign me. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> you're gonna sign so many books you at rome comic-con you're so right <gasps> that's so special yeah oh i can God. wait <laughs> i wanted to give you i mean you can like say like one word you can say as many words as you want about this but just ask you about what you think the role of fan art is in fandom communities and what is important about it and like what what do you feel when you read something and you're like, oh, I have to draw this? Like, what's that process like for you? Exactly this. I read a scene I love
2: or a book I love and it's a need. I need to put that scene on paper and, and draw it because it's my way to show how much I love that scene on that book or that characters. Mm-hmm. And probably this is more common for many fan artists that do this fan art, this kind of job. Uh, It's awesome because uh, we can connect with the fandom uh, and we also suggest books that many people maybe don't know. So... It's pretty cool, actually. I I, I love doing fan art, even if sometimes uh, I feel a bit stressed about because I need to post, I need to do a mm-hmm. fan art because you know the algorithm, the
1: social media, blah 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 blah. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, i can get overwhelming when it becomes your professional life. Yeah, yeah,
2: a lot, <laughs> because yeah. it's my job, but it's also my hobby. So when I s- finished working. Uh, I start drawing uh, it's the same thing actually because I've done, I've drawn all day and in the evening okay I need to relax what can I do oh yeah I can do a fan art <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's so beautiful <laughs> <laughs> yeah but
2: I, uh, I paid the price and I have a lot of problem on my arms because I draw a lot and uh, oh my god yeah I'm pretty old actually. So I'm 30 years old. So at some time, I don't have any energy anymore. So I have to balance the time I draw in my life. Do you do like physical therapy? Yeah. I spent two years on healing on my problem on the elbow because I draw a lot like this and it made me really pain in the elbow.
0: Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah, I'm sure that we have a lot of listeners who are like artists and fan artists. Actually, no, we have listeners who are fan artists. So I hope this is cool for you guys to like (laughs) hear from someone who has this both still as their passion and also as their career. Yeah. Take break, guys. This is really important. Stay hydrated and take breaks. Don't draw (laughs) too much because it's not healthy. (laughs) That is great advice. All you fan artists out there and also literally every single person in your respective hobbies and fields, a take breaks B, drink water. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. All the
1: advice we need. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Amazing. We are going to take a short little break here and then we will return with Alessia to discuss chapter eight of the sun and the star. Okay. We're back. We're officially back. We last left off before chapter eight. So we just had our hashtag Sally, hashtag Percibeth pep talk in New York City. Nico and Will hung up the phone with, and by phone, we mean the humidifier with uh, <laughs> Percy and Annabeth over in California. And Sally told them about family and relying on one another which is basically also what Percy and Annabeth told them they were going to have to do in order to survive Tartarus. So here we go. We are heading down the sixth train over to Central Park, the southernmost corner, to approach the door of Orpheus. I have a very specific idea in my head of exactly where this door is on the southernmost <laughs> edge of the park. Um, there are these big rocks, by like the, it says here. By the
0: pond, right? By the pond? No.
1: I went on
2: Central Park years ago because I, I uh, go, went to New York uh, 10 years ago, but I don't. I didn't remember anything about Central Park. It was so big, so
1: I, I don't know. <laughs>
0: it is huge.
1: It says here, it's like Nico guided Wolf toward the woodland stopping in front of a large grouping of boulders made up of Manhattan schist. I feel like it's right underneath the baseball field, really just like a two-minute walk into the park from either of the southern edges. There's like a huge outcropping of rocks and like a staircase in between the rocks, you know? I'm like, this is where it is. It's next to the staircase. Okay. Anyway, we're going through the door of Orpheus.
0: Yes. Listeners, you might remember the door of Orpheus from The Last Olympian. That's the last time we were here. Nico brought Percy that time here so that he could go and bathe in the sticks. That is the parallel that we have in our heads. We also have the more obvious parallel that we are going to be exploring in this section, which is a parallel to Orpheus. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In the section that we're about to get into, we're going to notice, you know, Nico and Will are in single file. And there is not a prohibition, as there is in the story of Orpheus, against turning around. But there is some very lovely language about when doubt creeps in.
1: Yes. I think <laughs> I literally wrote that down in my book. I was like doubt comes in exclamation point.
0: Listeners, that's a song from Hades Town.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a full song from Hades Town, best American musical of the past decade. There's also a moment before we descend down the stairs when Will turns around slowly, taking in the gorgeous central park trees that rose above them. I don't know how long this adventure is going to take, he said as he spun. So first, I just want to get a last look at everything to recharge my internal battery. This was a very character defining detail for Will for me, because um, Alessia, for context, Carter and I have been like talking with our various guests for the past several weeks being like, who is Will? Do we know Will? We don't know a lot about Will. And something I was looking forward to in this book was kind of getting a fuller picture of Will as a character and him, like, taking this pause moment to, like, look around at the trees and, like, really soak in nature. He's never going to beat the Magnus Chase allegations, but <laughs> this was a really sweet moment, I thought.
0: Yes. So we, we we have this moment. Will is charged with singing to open the doors of Orpheus, which you might remember are music-related. That's how you open them. And when they open, Will makes this comment that I want to flag for us. Which is that um, he's repulsed by the smell that immediately emerges. Nico's response, however, the odors hit Nico then. Mildew, decay, dust, home. Wow. How fascinating. There's this layer of defensiveness, this layer of difference that we start to see emerge based on these two reactions that Will's physiologic almost response to the underworld is so visceral. Um, his, his disgust and his inability to handle the smell that Nico... I think it's a very subtle shift that we're starting to see in the next few pages. That He's taking it a little bit personally, the way that Will is responding to this. But also it's something that he also is a little ambivalent about, that it's not something he would have thought to take personally until it's actually happening.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I wanted to talk about even the conversation leading up to that moment, leading up to the the smell of home thing, because they're talking about the troglodytes, and Nico is admitting how busy he has been, clearly finding them a new home in the underworld. Because if you'll remember from Trials of Apollo, it was sort of um, partially their fault that the trog's previous home got trampled and destroyed yeah nico found a new home for them in the underworld and will is like wait you relocated them to the underworld and nico's like yeah i mean they'll be safe there and will says i don't understand how anyone could live down there a burst of irritation jolted nico's heart he pressed his lips together so as not to blurt out his initial reaction which wasn't very kind the underworld isn't what you think it is he said quietly there's a lot more to it you'll see Okay, said Will. I trust you. This time, when he smiled, it didn't really make Nico feel better. So Nico just stepped aside and gestured at the rocks. A song, please. (gasps) Wow. (laughs) How do do we feel about that?
2: (laughs) I love these details of the relationship between Nico and Will that go through the book. And these little, I don't know if we can call fights, because they are not fights, but shows us the relationship between them is pretty deep and this is not something new between them. This is something probably happened way often Mm -hmm. and this is interesting because the relationship is not only um, cheese and kiss and acts, but there is a lot more and a lot of depth in this relationship and I like so much because it is so genuine, so realistic. it happens that there are misunderstandings between a partner, so it's
1: pretty cool, actually. Yeah, we were talking about how Nico bringing Will to the underworld is like going on a hometown date, where you're taking your boyfriend back to your hometown, and like, not that Nico has intentions to live full time in the underworld, but it is a little bit like Will being like, "Oh, I don't, I could never live here." It's like, "Oh, you don't, you don't like." I mean, not that like that was the goal, but like, so it's just off the table. Like, you're just not even gonna want to live where i'm from like in my hometown you don't like it here hmm how close-minded of you yeah (laughs) okay
0: that that's good context we're um now descending stairs from the doors of orpheus in the dark and nico is kind of explaining to will what's going on soothing him telling him that no there is not somebody following them Hmm.
1: Single file, descending into the darkness.
0: Yes. After
1: the first few steps, Nico glanced back to see the shape of Will's curls in the bright light of Central Park behind him. Hmm. This is obviously, first of all, a glorious image, I think really sets the scene of he's so backlit, you just kind of like see the halo of hair around his head. But second of all, obviously we're descending down, not descending out, but we have to keep in mind any mention of looking back. This is Nico right away. We just stepped down on the stairs and he's already turning around, looking at Will, making sure he's still there. I think we've smashed through the story of Orpheus and Eurydice on the podcast many times before, but just in case you need a refresher, (laughs) it's about (laughs) long story, Orpheus, son of a muse, Eurydice, probably a nymph or something like that. They fall in love. Eurydice gets bitten by a snake, goes down to the underworld. Orpheus sings as the son of a muse, enchants the stones and the rocks to let him down into the underworld, which again, you're not supposed to be able to do if you're not dead. Um, He gets down there. He rescues her, Mm -hmm. heads back up to take her back to the world of the living. But the caveat is that if he turns around as they walk single file through the darkness back to the world she will die instantly so it's a story about trust and doubt and music and nature and the forces of life and death and isn't that also what this story is about hmm interesting are we to assume will is going to die given that nico glanced back at him on the staircase no but it's good to keep in mind that these are um images being brought to mind (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, We might flag as well that there is in Nico's mental monologue also a callback to the last time he used the door of Orpheus, which was with Percy in the last Olympian to bathe in the sticks, but also as a trap set up by Hades.
1: Oh, is that the line about the sword?
0: Yes, we have to read that line. So um, as we're going down, there's some language about how we don't know how much time has passed, how Nico and Will are getting a little bit antsy and confused. Nico says, in his mental monologue, his arm was tired from holding out his sword. The last time he'd made this journey, Percy had been the one to light the way. Funny how the older Nico got, the more he saw things about Percy differently.
1: I love that line.
0: That's so rich.
1: Yeah, because it's it's not immediately obvious. Like, funny how the older Nico got, the more he saw things about Percy differently. He's not thinking about Percy's arm being tired from holding out the sword, right? But he's thinking about, oh, Mm -hmm. in this scenario, I am now in the role that Percy was in when we were descending the yes. last time. Yeah. I am older now. And now that I am older, I think about Percy in a different way. Now that I am the age he was when we were going down here, you know? Yeah, that's cool.
0: It's a rich passage that tells us a lot about Nico's evolution, about caretaking, about responsibility, arguably about gender roles, but I don't ah, know that we can tackle that. <laughs> <laughs> Who holds the sword? Yeah. Um,
1: Oh, yes, the role um, of the sword, also descending. important imagery.
0: We're descending. And <laughs> uh, <yep. laughs> basically, Nico stops shortly after this and says, we're here. Don't you hear the sticks? But he doesn't hear the sticks. Will is confused. N- Nico sees this very lushly described vista of all of the underworld. We get these things that we've heard before about the different sections, Elysium, the Fields of Punishment, Asphodel, and Nico is kind of... Turning around with some sense of anticipation, trepidation, as he's about to explain all of this and talk it through with Will.
1: Do you want to read the dialogue at the bottom of 83, Carter? You be Nico, I'll be Will.
0: Welcome to the underworld.
1: Is this a joke?
0: A joke? Why would you call my father's home a joke?
1: What are you talking about?
0: What are you talking about? You said
1: we were here. We are. Um, no, we're not.
0: Nico turned to look again and, what? What? They were back in the stairwell. The cavernous vista of Erebos was gone. The steps before them seemed to continue endlessly down into the darkness.
1: Very frightening. And it keeps happening. I I love this, that part. That's so cool. I don't know about you, because you had read this book even earlier than I did, but I was still reading this like, oh, Yeah, exactly my my reaction. (laughs) I was what is happening? (laughs) Yes, actually the one person I know who had read it had texted me like, are you at the part yet? Are you at the part where everything changes? And I was like, "What are you talking about?" They were like, "Yeah, no, there's a part that like like the needle drops." And I was like, "What?" And then I read this and I was like, "Oh my god, it's this part. It's this part, right? The, like time and space are like unraveling." I don't know what's going on. I had goosebumps reading this alone in my bedroom. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It was also scary because uh, we can't understand what is going on.
1: So what? Is that really? <laughs> yeah, and who is preventing them yeah. from getting there is the question.
0: Yes. They continue to try to descend further because they, they think that they just, I don't know. Monika's like, maybe I hallucinated. We haven't gone there yet. They keep going and eventually they end up back in Central Park. Wow. This is confusing. This feels totally different. Totally this different. This feels like a new technique that we're using to develop plot and to mark a different stage in the journey, a different character of the journey.
1: Literally. There's
0: something I feel like categorically different about stories that question perception. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like not a one-off thing. Where we're, we th- This is telling us constantly that this is a story about doubt. It's a story about uncertainty and um, that you have to read the story differently and understand the amount of confusion and fundamental distrust that the characters are in as we're going through this not as a matter of just empathy for their relationships but as a matter of a fact of epistemology as you're reading this we all us readers and the characters all have that one extra ratchet of uncertainty that says okay this is what's happening right now but we have to (laughs) we have to flip back and forth we're like we're, we're all collectively um holding on a little bit a little bit tighter. Yes. And that's very important and appropriate.
1: It's so helpful that there are gray pages that denote when we're in a nightmare because that, like we said, allows us to be like, oh, wow, the pages are not gray here. This is, this yeah. is happening. Something else is going on. It's not like, psych, we were asleep the whole time. We were never actually in Central Park. Something is occurring to the characters, mm. which then, of course, begs the question, who is doing this to them? Because it feels like they're just like, being toyed with. Hands uh, of the gods. Okay. We're going to find out. But
0: And with that, because this is a momentous transition point, we end chapter eight and we have another, what would you call this? Boat section? Boat? We have another canoe interlude. Canoe interlude. That's perfect. Yes. It's the canoe.
1: And this one is a long and one. This
0: is the longest one. This is like, oh, oh wow. Hold on a second. Is this even an Because it's like six pages and we're developing things. That's different. This is saying don't make any um, assumptions about the form of the novel.
1: Literally. And that's good. (laughs) And that's good. Just like, don't make any assumptions about time and space and don't make any assumptions about the form of this novel. We are on our toes, especially coming off of like the goosebumpification of the last chapter. We're like, okay, we're settling here. We don't know how they got here or where they are necessarily in this moment, but we're going to drop in for this little conversation that's actually quite a big conversation. I texted Carter before we started recording today, I was like, we need to really drop yeah. into this because there is a lot going on in this section. It's very
0: rich. Yes. Yeah,
1: so we we're back yeah. with the, um, nymph Gorgaira who we don't really know a lot about at this point. And we're going to start to get a little bit more character definition surrounding her in this section. Um, the last thing she yes. said was tell me a story about you two. Right. And so Nico is now telling the story yeah. of the first time they met and start off with information we know already um, about it being, you know, long before the Battle in the Blood of Olympus because Nico was at camp. We're, like, remembering um, young baby Nico and Will is contributing things from his point of view.
0: The tenor of the conversation suggests that they have not actually talked about this before. They're kind of uh, tripping over each other. They are sharing different perspectives, correcting each other, fleshing out specific moments in the past. Will opens with, did we meet with Octavian? And Nico goes, no. And Will's like, okay, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> that's kind of the, the like, character of the passage.
1: Yeah. Nico says, I wasn't staying at Camp Halfblood much, though. Will says, I remember that. And even when you were at camp, it was so hard to pin you down. You wouldn't stay put. You were afraid. Afraid of getting close to anyone. Nico was silent for a moment. Sometimes I still am, he said. Like earlier when you were complaining that I wasn't telling you things. "'Sort of,' Will pressed his hand against his stomach. "'I don't know if I was being fair to you. "'That's not important now,' Nico said. "'Let's get through this.' "'I hope you do not feel I am something to get through,' said Gorgaira. "'I am not trying to make things difficult for you boys.' For a moment, Nico had almost forgotten the nymph was there. He tried to tamp down his fear and frustration, his urge to scream, "'Just let us go!' "'It's a trade, right?' he said. "'We give you our story. You give us a boat.' If you must see it that way, she said, yes. I was like, what is going on? (laughs) Who is this lady? This is such an interesting dynamic between the three of them. She is obviously not like holding them at knife point or sword point or anything. Mm -hmm. She has this genuine compassion towards these two boys. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they cannot pass, theoretically, until she hears the story of how they met.
0: But not because she's stopping that, but just because she has something that they need. But she, to your point, is intervening in a way, like the way that she interjects into the conversation, dynamic-wise, is giving much more like couples counselor. Yes. Or like, you know, like auntie. She is just an auntie interrogator cop or something
1: (laughs) yeah she's like lonely for some reason and she's
0: like this is not transactional this is
1: not no she literally like she's like if you must see it that way like you you need to completely recategorize your way of seeing the world but we can do this however it's easiest for you knowing this book is about ptsd and that being really the framing and everything she is the representation of you cannot go forward until you look backwards and tell me the story of how Mm -hmm. you guys met You literally physically, you will not get this boat. Mm -hmm. Your journey will not continue unless we pause right here in this moment on Will's perhaps deathbed and look at the past. And we're not even looking (gasps) at the bad things in this moment. Yeah, We're just looking at the good things for now and recognizing how we got here, where we came from so we can go forward. Yeah, Yeah, that's interesting. And then they have like this sweet little argument about like they have different perspectives of when they first met. Which is also really realistic, I think.
0: When they first, like, noticed each other is interesting, yeah, because it's clear that from the get-go, there is some sort of, you know, registering of the other person that we haven't talked about really ever before this. This is the part where we're getting into new information. Yeah, this um, is brand um, new canonical information. (laughs) Wait, should we just do this? (laughs) Wait, what page are you on? Uh, 88 Middle.
1: I remember how sad I was when you left to go find Percy. When he disappeared.
0: You were sad, but did we even know each other then?
1: Maybe not as close friends or anything, but but I was drawn to you. Maybe it was because you were so mysterious. Maybe it was because you pushed everyone away whenever they tried to be your friend.
0: Not a lot of people tried to be my friend in those days.
1: That's not true. Plenty of us tried to be friendly to you, and you always had an excuse or a mean remark ready for us.
0: That doesn't sound like me. Oh, okay, okay, fine. Maybe that sounds like me.
1: Yeah. Okay. And then, and then we go into the like retconning <laughs> of their their first meeting. Yeah. This is real. Has anyone ever read Nico for filth quite quite so specifically within the canon world of the universe? Not us, because we obviously have said these things. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> there. I mean, this is like this part is kind of harkening back to the first time that we see them interact in the text, which is in The Blood of Olympus. The the context is a little bit different, but it's the same kind of high-level conversation of Nico saying, I'm a loner, nobody cares about me, and Will saying, I don't think that's true. That is maybe a bit in your head, and some of us are trying. But I think it is so funny to see that this, A, like, persists, because that other conversation was before they were in a relationship. It's funny to see this now, that, like, they've committed to each other. They, they've said things about how they feel about each other and yet Nico still kind of feels this way and Will's still kind of a little upset about that. And also, situating that in a different period of time even that Will is saying, like both of them are saying that dynamic also dates back before the two of them were talking that like from the first moments they kind of were aware of each other that was at play where Will was kind of fascinated by Nico and Nico just kind of Assumed that everyone hated
1: him. (laughs) So interesting. Will loves a project. And then we get to the retconning. Will was like, are you broken? I'm a sunshine boy. Let me fix it. I know
0: how to heal people.
1: Maybe I was drawn to your dark mysteriousness. Will, you're just like me for real. (laughs) Not only is the retconning on page 89 very exciting because it's a story of them meeting in the infirmary for the first time on like a regular day at camp. But what I want to talk about is the decision to include this.
0: Yeah, textual
1: Fan service is not a word that really can do this justice. Like, this is beautiful. Mark and Rick walking up into this book draft and being like, we need to build out this relationship. Because when Trials of Apollo started, they were suddenly dating. And nobody got to see the formation of that relationship. And not that we have to know every single lurid detail in order for them to be As valuable as Persebeth, as we have stated, this book is like a project
0: to Mm -hmm. create
1: Solangelo as a ship as complicated and important and societally relevant as Persebeth. But it is special that they would go back in time and be like, now, yes, here are little tidbits, little nuggets that nobody knew about until now. Because not only do the fans want it and the readers want it, but like the ship and the universe need it. We need to have those details Filled out.
0: Yeah. And that's also, when we talk about retconning as a broader concept, when we talk about pieces of art that feel the need to retroactively say something about backstory in order to power the present-day storylines, there have been a lot of mistakes. Let's say that, right? My head immediately is going to the new three Star Wars movies, mm. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm. Mm. Where like, Mm. (laughs) (laughs) especially like if we think about this from an authorial perspective, there's so many ways that they could have gone with this. There's so many magnitudes that they could have gone. And there's so many types of meaning that they could have chosen to infuse a backstory with if they were going to say they already knew each other the first time we saw them interacting. What was that like for them? What does that mean for the way they think about their relationship they could have gone much bigger, is what I'm basically saying here, right? They could have said, like, they could have gone the K-drama route, where like actually they met before they got to camp, and uh,
1: <laughs> they met as <us laughs> you know, children like, we're in them the New York City from
0: kidnapping at age six or something. But we didn't do that. The story is something that 100 percent you would not bat an eye at as you're reading this because it absolutely fits. Like, of course, Nico like got injured on his first day at camp. W- why not? Like, there's no reason for us to to. Have any feelings about that being true or not true? Of course, Will was training to be a battle medic. Yeah, he had to do that at some point. Why not at the same time? You know, like I think there's something about that choice to say like the beginning of the relationship was not like cute and plausibly fits within the character dynamics that we've created and accepted. Yeah, yeah. but it's also like regular. Do you know what I mean? Yes.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's natural. Yeah, you you met a person, and maybe it's not the first time that person see you. It, it's cool. I, I think it's it's really realistic. Uh, I think yeah, it's a pretty idea to show these moments in this way, and and the fact that there are difference from Nico and Will. It, I really I really like it so much. Yes.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. What you said, Carter. Did you say the word regular? Yes, <laughs> I feel yeah. like that's really special because most of Nico's life has not been regular. Yeah, yeah,
2: actually, it's true. It's the the normal thing Nico had in his life is how he met his boyfriend. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, like obviously, getting stabbed on your first day at Demigod Camp isn't like quote unquote normal, but <laughs> it's just easy how they ended up in each other's lives, which is really sweet and segues us into this. What happens after Will and recounts this story um Nico's like is that it is that really how we met and Will says I think so I'm pretty sure I saw you running around Camp Half-Blood when you were originally rescued by Percy and Annabeth but that was our first face-to-face moment Nico shook his head I didn't even realize that was you back then but well I also don't remember much about my first few weeks at camp I felt so out of place Gorgyra sighed it seems you two have a complicated and labyrinthine connection Would really love to never think about the labyrinth ever again, Nico muttered. She smiled. I find this fascinating. Sometimes mortals are not aware of the threads that bind them. You could both be wrong about the first time you met. And yet the two of you have orbited each other for so long, like heavenly bodies in the sky. Will squeezed Nico's hand. I like how that sounds. I love this paragraph. Oh, oh wow. Oh my god, yeah. I underlined the entire thing. I wrote musubi. Yeah. <laughs> on the
0: top yes yes that's a no Nawa reference
1: yes i wrote your (laughs) name in all caps i said we need to talk about this we have talked so much about this movie before and also i've i put it on our like seaweed brain mandatory list of movies like like our top 10 films you know that defined us like everybody should see it i understand it i love that movie so much (laughs) right and the concept that what connects two people is more complicated than we can understand
0: Yeah, The threads
1: that bind people together and the complications of seeing somebody and then meeting them and then meeting them again and like you don't remember that and but you are orbiting each other like heavenly bodies in the sky. This is a book for 10 year olds.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: it's so beautiful. It's
0: beautiful <laughs> as an idea, and I think it's so yeah. fun that Gorgaira gets this line. This yes. is something that they're thinking that there is a person here observing them because that's and us, commenting on them because that's us. Because yeah. I am <laughs> Gorgaira in this moment,
1: right? Don't you feel like Gorgaira is self-insert, like <laughs> yeah. us, just like like sitting with our legs crossed, like fingers on our laps, like so? Tell us about how you guys met, and they're like, Wr.
0: Gorgaira is like Kelsey. From High School Musical, you know, like the original observer, the original shipper, a founding member of the Fujoshi Congress, if you will. Na,
1: na, na, <laughs> na, 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 yeah. <laughs> I wrote this song for you guys, like.
0: <laughs> I wrote this song for you to sing as a duet again, so you'll do <laughs> musicals again. That's like the same thing. It's saying like, let me help the two of you to tell the story of your relationship because I think it's important and interesting and I want to be there Uh, lovely
1: Gorgaira also the titular role let us not gloss over this the sun and the star we know that it's a reference of course to Bob's words in the house of Hades tell the sun and the stars I say hello but we are thinking about Nico and Will or Will and Nico as the sun and the star what does that mean Rick has put up some words, I think, in a blog post about this or in an interview. I think it might have been the Mary Sue interview. They were like, tell us about the title. And he was like, well, you know, the sun is a star and they're not uh, mutually exclusive. Yeah. And you guys uh, can think about that on your own time. So here we are thinking about that. Here's this line orbiting each other like heavenly bodies in the sky. We're not as different as maybe we appear to be.
0: Mm -hmm. I think you've said it. And I think we're going to continue to marinate in that
1: it's only page 90
0: yeah wow so coming out of that nico kind of changes course and uh, tells the story of when he first considers will a friend what a fascinating thing for nico to draw out as relevant to the story of their relationship because it is but I don't know. It doesn't feel inevitable that he would have talked about this. And the moment is a moment that we actually have observed. Nico is hearkening back to the first time we readers experienced Will and Nico meaningfully interacting in the blood of Olympus at Camp Half-Blood as we're preparing for battle, as we're watching Octavian launch himself to his death and standing there and not doing anything about it. So Nico mentions all these. He mentions Octavian by name. And then... Or, well, I guess the, yeah, no, he does mention Octavian by name out loud and in his head. But then he focuses on the moment afterwards that we actually experienced and talked about on this podcast as well. Mm -hmm. When um, Will shows up after that, when Nico's kind of in his feelings saying, okay, I kind of had a crush on this boy and we were talking, but, you know, I did something weird in front of him. Oops, my bad. I guess I'll (laughs) never talk to him again. (laughs) And Will kind of vetoes and says, actually, no, that's wrong. We, we did talk, and so we're going to continue to hang out. Um, and the, the specific line that you might remember from The Blood of Olympus is about how Nico has to join Will in making rounds around people in the infirmary and generally people who are ill because people could use a friendly face. Friendly face is a line. <laughs> I
1: literally, I wanted, I wanted to cry when I was rereading this page this morning. Will laughed softly. I remember that too. I think I scolded you pretty hard.
0: You did. But it was the way you did it. You made it clear that you wanted me around. You said you wanted me to come to the infirmary to help. Because, because you could use a friendly face.
1: It was true. And you did help.
0: You brought me closer instead of rejecting me. I had never been called a friendly face. Ever. You made me rethink everything. My place in camp. My crush on Percy. My future. It took you scolding me like you were the camp director to make me realize I was wanted.
1: Gorgaira sniffled <gasps> and wiped her eyes. You have to excuse me; it's hard not to react to something like that. <laughs> oh God, she's literally just us.
0: She's just like I me love for real.
1: <laughs> yeah i love her so much i love that we're just like watching like nico and will like cry and like hold each other's hands and stare into each other's eyes and then the camera zooms out and gorgyra is like "Ah!" (laughs) cartoon blowing her nose (laughs) just like me for real
0: just like me for real
1: yeah um and so then (laughs) will is will is not well will is swaying unsteady Nico turns to Gorgaira and he's like, we need to go if we're going to reach Tartarus. But Will says, wait, I remember something else. I know we need to go, but you remember what Percy and Annabeth said about how important it is to remind each other of the world above. Nico frowned, but we're not even in Tartarus yet. (gasps) It feels like we are. Here we go. Yeah, th- that's important information. We're not even in Tartars
0: yet. Where that was a gag line for me. I was like, "What? Where
1: are we? Where
0: are we? When are we?
1: What? When are we? Where are we? The fact that we haven't even made it to the underworld in like the regular chapters, like, what is going on in this book? At this point, I was like, "Is this the first of five more books?" <laughs>
0: How is the pacing going to work out not that even Will going to is, get like, get and, like, how can we have flash-forwards to something that presumably is going to be, like, a third of the way through? Or something, right? Like, damn. Um. <laughs> Nico going, we're not even
1: in Tartarus. Will goes, but it feels like we are. And I know you're worried. But just give me this. It does make me feel better. Nico gazed at Gorgaira, and the whispers in his mind returned. Voices telling him what he already knew about himself. All his worst fears and failures. Interesting... Voices, his regular voices, voices that are coming from his presence with Gorgaira. Um, Are they being amplified by wherever we are? All right, he said to Will, if it helps. This brought a bit of color back into Will's face. I remember when I realized, when I knew that this was more than a friendship. That made Nico smile despite himself.
0: I remember my moment too.
1: (laughs) Will's eyes filled with tears. I think mine is different than yours.
0: But I know mine happened first. <laughs>
1: Tell me, Gorgyra said, moving closer to Nico and Will. Tell me one more story. <laughs> and Nico felt <laughs> another string start to unravel.
0: Wow, I... what does that mean? A string? Unraveling. Musubi is like, yeah, no, exactly. I was like, what metaphor are we tracking right now? Yes, that's what I thought the too.
1: There's so many metaphors going on. We really need to like English and class we pick them apart. To. Yeah. Like the strings are unraveling. The strings that hold us together was what we were just talking about. But to me, that like ball of yarn and like entanglement, like when you a necklace gets all knotted up, like that's the trauma. And Mm -hmm. that's also like, even if it's not the trauma, like that's what
0: unravel. Yeah. That's what
1: happens to your mind when you experience something traumatic. Like all the good stuff and the things that aren't that traumatic, they get tangled up anyway. And it's hard to pick apart the past because you, you know, black everything out to cope. So you have to start unraveling like one Mm -hmm. at a time the good stuff, the whatever stuff, the bad stuff to be able to process. Mm -hmm. And like we said, process the past Mm -hmm. to be able to move forward. I don't know. That's what I felt. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I I loved it. (laughs) This is exactly what I thought would happen. We were only going to make it through chapter eight and the canoe
0: interlude. (laughs) I'm so glad every day that Stephanie Laurie decided (laughs) to dress up as Gorgaira because the layers of meaning that that has are actually immense and valuable in both directions. I think as I continue to read the book, it makes me think more about the book tour and reflect differently on those experiences. But it's so funny for them to layer the superstructure on for the fans and say like, Gorgaira is, is like a book author, you know, like Gorgaira is in many ways, like the editor of this novel. Of this
1: story. <laughs> I'll have to clip that and post it. So Stephanie can hear that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Eddie, Um, I know we just, we just really went line by line through these last several pages, but anything else you want to say, Alessia, share with us about your thoughts on Solangelo, on Nico, on Will, anything? I don't know, actually.
2: Um, Actually, I've already said that I I love the relationship in the the book. And um, I don't know if I can talk about this because it Something that comes
1: later. We're, ch- we're trying to avoid spoilers, but we you can okay, speak about it like okay. kind of vaguely. Um, maybe. Yeah, you can I, speak about it as vaguely as you want to. And uh, yeah. now, listeners, you know, if you haven't finished the book yet, maybe skip the next five minutes. Okay. Now, I love how
2: the character of Will is developed in this book. Mm-hmm. I love how much depth in his character is shown here in, in this interlude of Gorgaira, and also in the other chapters as well because uh, I I love Will so much even if we don't know anything about him uh, we don't know how he really is in the relationship and and actually Mark and Rick confirmed some of my theories on how I pictures them and that's pretty cool yeah, <laughs> because I really love them. It's actually what I always want to read about the Solangelo book. This is exactly what I was expecting, also is more what of what I was expecting yeah. about the, the relationship and, and them. Because they are yes, they are the opposites, but they are so similar in some ways. They are also insecure. So they have they both be afraid of left behind uh, and it's pretty
1: cool pretty pretty cool. absolutely yeah that fear of being left behind that doubt and that lack of trust and the importance of building that trust that we were talking about such an important theme of the book yeah oh,
2: of the fear of not being enough for the other yeah not being strong enough not being and un- um knowing yeah. the other enough it's
1: it's really cool. Yeah. Ugh. And isn't that just relatable for everyone? Yeah. <laughs> the fear of not being enough. Yeah. We're going to talk about that as as we yeah. keep going. Um, Alessia, thank you. Thank, Allie, you, thank you for you inviting me. so much me. for being thank here. Thank you. Thank you. It was very fun. <laughs> thank you for joining us from Rome and making time. And it's really cool to meet you face to face. I feel like we've been talking for a while. Um, <laughs> This is always fun. Yeah. And I... Cannot flipping wait for my book to arrive from Rainbow Crate. It's, I'm just gonna like have yeah. to build a shelf on my wall just to put it there, you know, <laughs> on its own little shelf facing outwards or like staple the jacket <laughs> to the wall.
2: <laughs> I really hope you like the cover. I, I'm, I'm so scared actually, because there is so much hype about how, oh my God, that I set on the cover. I'm so what
1: scared. if I told you you are enough? <laughs> thank you. and thank we love you. you and we're so grateful to have you as a as a fandom thank you so much <laughs> thank you really it was amazing <laughs> really thank you oh um where can everyone follow you on social media hard pressed to imagine that they don't already but just in case where can people follow you and find all of your wonderful art
2: uh, they can find me on Instagram and on Twitter. This is al- always my
1: name, Alessia Trunfio. You can find me. <laughs> awesome. I will have everything linked in our show notes description so you can go and follow and check out everything. And if they have any extra books, I doubt that they do at the Rainbow Cray, but you can email somebody and ask them to print more. Uh, <laughs> it's been known to happen. It happened once, we can do it again. Um, listeners, we will be back next week to talk about chapter starting with chapter nine and then we'll we'll see how far we get thank you as always for being here on this journey with us everyone say thank you alessia thank
0: you thank you you
1: so much (laughs) (laughs) all right bye everyone bye all bye